Ready to get in the Word? Say yes. I've titled The Power of Unity. The Power of Unity. We can just go home now. All right, there we go. There's The Power of Unity. Because we all know that that's under attack right now. So, so um, how many of you guys, anybody play sports in high school or junior high or elementary? All right, all you sports. Uh, anybody, anybody in the room actually went to the collegiate level in sports? Anybody like that? Well, okay. Uh, anybody pro- ex uh, professional player in something? All right, we got to get you tithing if you are here, okay? I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. You know, I, I had the privilege of playing um, junior high, peewee, you know, junior high and high school sports. And so um, I, I really, I, I tell people all the time and all the different ministries and businesses that I've been a part of um, as a leader, the worst people in the world to hire is someone who's never been on a team. And I'll tell you why. Because when you're on a team, things change about you. And I think about um, all the years of playing peewee football and baseball and basketball and into high school playing those sports. And, and just and not that I was a great athlete, but I just had the privilege of being on a team. And there's something about team that causes you and me to work better together. Because what happens with a team is that you're forced to lay down your priorities so that the team's priorities can come to pass. So that the team can win. And in... in, in Really, I learned unity by playing high school sports. I would have loved to have played at the collegiate level. Obviously, I wasn't that kind of caliber of an athlete. But just the opportunity to play high school sports. I'll never forget in one of the basketball tournaments that we played in was our big, big tournament. We were down in Florida playing. And I mean, we had had difficulty on the drive down. We'd gotten fights with each other and just wasn't liking each other. I'll never forget, we came down to the final game and we're in the locker room and we took charge. The coach wasn't even in there. We said, listen, we, if we're going to, if we're going to be, if we're going to win this tournament, we got to get some junk straight. And we just put it all down out and there, well, you did this. Well, last time you did this, well, you acting like this. And then you've been talking to my girl. And we just went through all, as we laid it all out, something supernatural happened. We had team again. Are you with me? Say yes. We had unity again. Yeah. You cannot be in a family unit, in a band, on a team without having difficulty, without having moments of disunity. But you've got to learn to fight through it. And the power of unity to transform the world is really what the Bible is teaching all throughout the Holy Scriptures. In fact, we find that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit operate as a team and they work in complete unity. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. So with that being said, open your Bibles. We're going to go to our key verse found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. While you turn there, I just want to give a little love out to Pastor Jonathan Pena because he worked m- the majority of this message. And so I'm actually, every week I work the message and Pastor Jonathan adds to it and we preach it together. But this time he developed most of the message, so I'm preaching his message. So if I blow it, just know that he, he preached it a lot better, I'm sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. Did you find it? Say yes. All right. It says, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you, my friends, to agree in what you say so that there will be no divisions among you, but uh, be completely united with only one thought and one purpose. See, unity is really, really dependent upon us being one thought and one purpose. But we actually have to fight for unity. We have to work to agree together. This word agree, uh, it's actually connected to that. Do you know the passage in Matthew? It says, where any two of you come together in agreement, whatever you ask, it shall be done. Do anybody know that? The Bible actually teaches us when we come into agreement We can do supernatural things together because there's agreement. That word agreement in the original Greek is symphono. Everybody say symphono. 
and that actually is where we get our word symphony. I don't really like symphonies, and I don't like cultural high, high pieces like that. My wife would love. She comes from a family that uh, is a little bit more high culture. I, I come from the poor folks across the tracks, and, uh, and so, but I married up. Come on, somebody. I married up. And her greatest disappointment in our marriage is I won't go and watch these symphonies and all that. I just can't stand it. I can't do plays. When people start singing to me, I want to punch them in the face. Like, just talk to me. Don't sing to me. And so, I mean, we really, really, in fact, one of the gifts I gave her one time was she was all into um, when this uh, musical play thing, the greatest showman movie came out. <laughs> yeah. So her uh, other boyfriend, Hugh Jackman, was in it, right? And he's singing. And so, and so there's this moment, you know, when she turns to me and says, will you take me to see that? And I said, no, I don't go to singing movies. That is, I don't, I do grit. I do men's meetings for men. I don't do that stuff. Are you crazy? And so she, her and all the kids had seen it and gone for months and months and months and months. And then I decided, what can I get her for her birthday that year? And that year I found that it was still playing at one theater out in South Lake, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. And I surprised her. I took her there. And she was like crying, not because it blessed her so much, because she knew the sacrifice that I was making to go see a singing movie, if you will. Symphono, symphony, when they all play their instruments with one sound. One, one instrument's not standing out above the other. That's what we call agreement or unity. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. This is what miss, is missing in the body of Christ today, more than ever before. In fact, we saw 2020 was all about the forces of darkness trying to destroy us and infuse into us such disunity. And, it, 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 and Paul is actually saying in 1 Corinthians, listen, by the authority of Jesus Christ, he says, let me appeal to you, my friends, let me appeal to you to agree to come into agreement because you can't move mountains when you're not in agreement. But when you're in agreement, come on church, when we are together, when we are unified, we can say to this mountain, be thou removed. We can say whatever we ask, Matthew, the book of Matthew says, will be done when we come into symphono, when we come into the agreement that God has for us. And we are a team as Hill City. We are a body of believers. We are one team. There are many churches, but this church called Hill City, we are a team. And when we come together, we move mountains together. When we're in unity, we have actually the supernatural work of God flowing through us. And the enemy's plan is to constantly try to disunify us, to constantly try to cause us to have disagreement. And we literally have to come into it. We have to make a conscious decision to come into agreement. When you and I come into agreement, supernatural things happen. Would you turn with me again now to Ephesians chapter 4? Turn there, and we're going to look at a few verses and kind of make this our main passage, if you will. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. This is, this is a, a, an area where a city that he had gone into and he had planted a church. And now here he is in prison some six years later. So he's writing back to them because of their disunity, uh, because of what they've gone through. In fact, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, actually Paul is re-explaining the gospel. Let me tell you what it is to be a believer. Let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Let me tell you who you are. He takes the first three chapters of Ephesians to do that. Then he starts in chapter 4 all the way through chapter uh, 6. And he begins to tell them that this is how we should live because we belong to Jesus Christ. Paul is actually writing again this book from prison, this letter, if you will. We consider it a book, but he's writing this letter to these Ephesians. And you've got to understand they're struggling with unity 
because of who they are. Now, they're in a city, the city of Ephesus. And at that time, it is one of the cultural hotspots in the world. In fact, it's, it, it is a seedbed for Roman and Greek culture. I mean, all of it has come together. It is a major city. It's one of the largest cities, and it's an epicenter for Greek and Roman worship. And they've got the big, the, uh, it's, it's the home of Artemis, the goddess of fertility. And it had one of the great, biggest shrines or temples to Artemis. In fact, that shrine, that temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. When you go back and you look at the ancient wonders of the world, this is one of the ones that was, was considered. It's one of the most beautiful uh, temples with all of all of the gold inlay and all of the gardens and all of these pieces. And so this is the center of worship of the Roman and Greek world. And he has planted a church. The church at Ephesus is there. And they come from all over the world to live and, 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 and abide in Ephesus. The people group of Ephesus is this diverse culture. Now, this diverse culture is exactly what the church has become. The people who have gotten saved are all diversified. They're, they're all from different cultures, kind of like Hill City. Come on, somebody. It's, it's not just one culture. They don't all vote the same way. Come on now. They don't all come from the same background in Ephesus. So he is dealing with a church that is struggling to be unified because of all their cultural backgrounds, because of all of their ideologies, because the, uh, I see it this way. Oh, friend, can I just tell you something? Let me just pat you on the back for a moment. It'd be so much e easier for all you black folks just go to an all-black church. Because they're going to think the same way. Everybody's on the same page. For all you white folks who go to an all-white church. All you Hispanic folks who go to an all-Hispanic church. For you, all you Asians, just go to an all-Asian church. Culturally, it would be so much easier. But friend, you cannot see the supernatural things of God happen. And when you and I diversify like that, instead of come together. When we come together, the heaven is going to be a place of all cultures. You know that, right? And so why are we not practicing that on earth? Come on, if you don't like black people, don't go to heaven. You don't like white folk, don't go to heaven. You don't like Hispanic. You're not going to get to have your little white folk section, your little black folk section, your little Democrat section, your little Republican section. We are the body of Christ. We are Christians. Are you with me? Say yes. Paul is dealing with this in Ephesians when he writes this book. And so in chapter 4, did I set it up for you now? Chapter 4 in verse 1, he starts saying, now if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to live out this gospel message, then he starts in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. So let me just tell you, I have laid down my life for Jesus. So I have a right to say what I'm about to say. That's what he's saying. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you. What does he do? Urges. I am urging you. Have you ever had mama and daddy urge you? You ever been urged by daddy? Like, I ain't going to tell you twice. Let me urge you about cleaning up your room before the end of the day. Anybody remember? Anybody grow up in a house like that? I urge you to live a life worthy of of the calling you have received. As a believer, you have a calling. You have a purpose. You have a reason. And here's one of the things you got to understand about Hill City. We are not going to allow you to just come and get you a little church. You have a calling. It is my job. It is the job of the pastoral team and the leaders of this church to help you get into your calling and fulfill your purpose on this planet. You will live a miserable life just going to church here in sermons. You have to come into your purpose and your calling. You exist to change some part of this old wicked world. You exist to bring light to some darkness. You are a part of the family in the body of Christ. So you track and say yes. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Have you had to bear with some folks in love? Somebody shout amen. Make every effort. Everybody say effort. Make what effort? How many times do you effort it? 
every time you can. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's saying it's more important to have the bond of peace than it is to be right. It's more important to have the bond of peace. Let the Holy Spirit work through you to keep us unified. Because if we don't stay unified, if we don't, then we're not going to win the tournament. You, we're going to be mad at each other. You're going to be throwing the ball out of bounds and, and looking at me like, how stupid are you? Why weren't you? Because we weren't unified. When we come into unity, we come into unity with the Spirit and through the bond of peace. Therefore, is, uh, excuse me, uh, there is one body... There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul explains that, listen, there is not all these other little things. There's one God. We all follow the one God. There is one body of Christ. Yes, there may be different, you know, uh, expressions of that body, but there is one body. There is not, the, there is not this kind of Christian. This kind, either you're a Christian or you're not. There's one body, one Holy Spirit flowing through us all. So I can love my Baptist brothers. I can love my Pentecostal brothers. I can love my Lutheran brothers. One Spirit, one God that we all serve. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so what he's doing, he's actually teaching us, first and foremost, in the early part of this verse, he's teaching us how we should act and behave. As prisoners, live worthy of the calling that you have received. Then he moves in the second part of this verse, uh, this, this passage, and he says, this is how you should actually give off the effort. You should give off an effort to fight for unity. There is an effort required to have unity. All the married people said, that's right. There's an, there's an effort you don't just have unity in your marriage because you just woke up this morning and just fell in love all over again. You woke up and said, I choose to love you. And I'm going to choose to love you when you do that stupid thing that you do. Because I would rather have you than I would rather be right about the things of this argument. You and I must do the same thing within the body of believers. We must have effort. And effort is a conscious exertion of power. It's a conscientious exertion of power. I am going to do this. I am going to get up and I'm going to put some effort into this thing. Your car don't get clean unless you put some effort to it. Your house didn't get straightened up unless you put some effort into it. I know you teenagers don't know this, but the room doesn't magically set itself back up. It your clothes don't magically get washed. It's, there's some effort. And unfortunately, your mama's been putting more effort than you have, and that's your problem. So we're going to help you with that. you got to grow up a little bit and wash your own clothes. Come on, somebody. Y'all not preaching me down too good. Uh, the, the Bible defines unity like this. It's oneness of purpose, not sameness of persons. Let that sink in. It's oneness of purpose, not sameness of persons. We're all different, but we have one purpose. We all come into unity. If everybody was a point guard, we're not going to score very well. If everybody's a big man, we're not going to get the ball down to them very well. We need each position, everyone different and with different skill sets and different anointings. But we lay all of that into the great Paul called the body of Christ, called the church. And we say, my little bit, whatever I can add to the team, I want to add to the team. But it's not about me being the superstar. It's about this team winning the game. It's about us winning the turn. That is, that is unity. It is about oneness of purpose. Everybody say oneness of purpose. It's not about you having to be, I don't want you to be me. You cannot be my wife. There, 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 over the years, so many of the young ladies, I just want to be like Miss Jamie. I tell them, sweetheart, you're going to kill yourself because she's a freak of nature. Never seen a woman like her. 
I'm never saying that she, what she can do doesn't make her better or worse. It's just, it's just she's so OCD about things and then not OCD about other things. Uh, she's a brilliant thinker. And she's got her strengths and she's got her weaknesses. You don't want to be Adam and Jamie. You want to be the best you you can be, what God made you to be, the effort you were supposed to bring, into, to bring us into unity. Stop trying to be somebody else. I, I, I've told you this before. I'll never forget. Early on, I was trying to be Bishop Jake. I would walk back on my heels. Try to think on something to get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I, I gained weight the whole night. I tried it. Did, nothing worked. Didn't work. You know why? Because I was trying to be him and not be me. All right? And I knew that only, and that's when I got a revelation that only those called to walk with Jamie and I would be able to fit in Hill City. If you want me to be Bishop Jakes, just go to Bishop Jakes. If you want us to be so-and-so, go be so-and-so. Go to them. But God called you here. So for such a time as this. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on now. So I want to just help you. I want to show you something about unity. I, I, we had this, uh, Pastor Jonathan and I had this moment. We were talking about uh, this guy, Jordan Peterson. He's a psychologist. And, and he, has, he, had, he was talking about the zebra. And he was talking about how zebras are painted black and white. God painted them black and white. They're not really well camouflaged if you think about the African Sahara or the plains of Africa. Uh, a lion, a tiger of Africa is well camouflaged. But a zebra's not. Like you're going to stick them out in this brown grass, stuff, green brown grass stuff and paint them black and white. It's like, we can see you. I mean, they're not hiding. <laughs> they're not hiding. Okay. And so Jordan Peterson talks about what God has done and how God has actually caused the zebra to operate as one of, one of the greatest groups of mammals that operate in camouflage because they're all together. So the predator has a hard time killing a zebra unless one's weak or young or something like that. But as a herd has a hard time, predators have a hard time. And can I just, would you give me two minutes to let Jordan explain it? He does it so much better. Can I do that? All right, let's play that for you for just a second. Across this story by Robert Sapolsky, I think it was Robert Sapolsky, and he was talking about zebras. And so I'll take two minutes and tell you the zebra story because if you understand this story, you understand absolutely everything about human beings, and so it's worth two minutes. So, so you know, zebras hypothetically are camouflaged, right? That's what everyone says, but come on, really? Lions are camouflaged, they're the same color as the grass. Zebras are black and white, you can see one of those things like a, a mile away, but there isn't a zebra. There's a herd of zebras. And so the zebra's actually camouflaged against the herd. Now that's something to think about. So the stripes of zebras are the zebra's jargon. That's a good way of thinking about Ooh. it. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> so anyways, so biologists go out and study zebras. and Zebra biologists. And they're going to, they got to watch a zebra to figure out what it's up to. And so they watch the zebra and then they make a note and then they look up and they think, oh my god, like which collection of black and white stripes was that zebra? Because the stripes don't outline the zebra and they camouflage the zebra perfectly against the herd. So if you look away from the zebra down and back up, you don't know what you're looking at. So the biologists think, oh crap, we better, we better solve this problem. So they drive up to the herd with a jeep and a bucket of red paint and a stick with a rag on the end of it and they, they paint one of the zebra's haunches with a red spot or they clip its ear like you do with cattle. Then you can keep track of the zebra. Guess what happens to the zebra? The lions eat it. Oh. Right. Oh is right. Bloody right. Oh, yeah. The lions cannot hunt a single zebra down unless they can identify it. 
because they organize their hunt. They have to organize their hunt around an identifier. You can't hunt four zebras. Yeah, or, you can only hunt right. one at you a time. You can't hunt a blur of zebras. So, so I love this illustration that when you look at the zebras, all you see is a giant herd. So a predator cannot pick out which one to attack because it's all one. But when, you, when the biologists put a red stamp on the backside of one of the zebras so they could study that particular zebra, it was dead the next morning because the lions were able to figure out which one it was and separate it out from the herd. The unity and the power of Christianity is us being a part of the togetherness, being together in this whole thing that, you know what, the enemy goes, I don't know which one I'm going to fight. In fact, it's all one big blur of Christians, so I'm going to leave them all alone. But when you, the enemy gets us separated out and we're standing out there by ourselves, because you know what? I'm mad at y'all. I don't like y'all. That's why the whole plan for the last 50 years is to get everybody saying, I love God, but I just don't love the church. And the reason that is is because if I can get you isolated by yourself, then I can attack you. But when you're in a herd, come on, somebody, when you got the power of the others around you, then when your faith is weak, they stand beside you and they help, they stand there with you while you get a little healthier. When you feel it, when you got the little crook leg going because you stumbled a little bit, they're standing around you and the enemy can't see which one of us to attack. Because you're standing there, though you may be in pain, but all he can see is the herd itself. And he's not big enough to come against the herd. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. This is what unity does. This is what unity looks like. This is the power of unity. And so, oh man, the enemy has been after that. He's been after that in our church, churches around the nation, churches around the world. Because if I can splinter you off as individuals, if I can get you focused on your individuality, then I can then attack you and take you down. But friend, when we come together with all of our individualism and we come together with one vision, one purpose, one heart, one mind to do the things of God together, then not only are our needs met, but we also push back the enemies of power to advance against us. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So here's what I want to give you. A couple thoughts. Warning signs of disunity. I'll give you a couple of those. Can I do that? Warning signs of disunity. Number one, here's the first warning sign that you may be being attempted to disunify. Number one, first sign is that it's with them. With them attitude. You know what with them is? What's in it for me? With them. What's in it for me? In fact, in fact, marketers actually use this because Americans are so selfish. So marketing, I, I've sit in a lot of marketing meetings for large ministries, large organizations, and every time we have some marketing guru, they say, okay, well, what's in it for the other person? How do we motivate them for what they're going to get out of it? Because that's the only way to sell our product to them, is we got to appeal to their with them. Well, the problem is we've seen Christianity start trying to do that. We've, we, we, we see churches over the last 30 years, uh, listen, come to our church. We'll make you happy. We'll make you rich. We'll take care of your kids. We'll fix your marriages. And so we've appealed to with them. The problem with appealing to with them is it destroys unity. Because now it's all about me and what I want. And the moment that that church doesn't meet your with them, what's in it for you, then you say, well, then I don't want to be a part of it. Because you told me if I came to your church, then my kids would be happy. But my kids went to the kids' ministry. They didn't have a good time. How dare you do that? That's it. We're going to go find somewhere else where they can have a good time. 
And so what we've done is we've appealed. Instead of being the body of Christ and saying, hey, the kids ministry is not really doing so good for the whole herd. We're not, we're not having a good experience. Let's go fix it together. Instead of doing that, we said, we, what's in it for you? We want you to be happy, 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 happy. And we've appealed to our individualism. And by doing that, we've allowed the disunity to propagate. Disunity is actually propagated when you and I sit around going, what's in it for me? How do I get something out of it? How do I benefit from this? How do this affect me? But Frank, can I tell you something? When I got saved and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I went into this thing about I don't want to go to hell. I just want to serve God. And then somewhere in the midst of that, he challenged me. Is it about you going to heaven or hell? Is it about you just loving me? And I said, I just love you now, Jesus. I don't care about any of it. I just want you. He goes, good. Then I want you to love my family. I want you to love my children. I want you to be a part of that. I'm like, oh, but Jesus, I don't like your children. They're mean. They're weird. They're not cool like I am. They got all these little religious duties that some of them invite. You can't make any of them happy. He said, do you love me? I said, I love you. He said, then I need you to love my people. I said, I'll love them, Jesus. Why? Because it's not about what's in, in for me. Now, Jamie and I don't benefit more than everybody else in this church. We, our children don't inherit this church because their last name's McCain. We are in this with you, one on one, on a thousand, doing it together for the cause of Christ. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Here's a second great warning sign of disunity, and that is prioritizing personal views over biblical truths. That happened last year. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm black. Well, I'm white. Well, I'm Hispanic. And we prioritize personal views over biblical views. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about injustice and how dare you not care about that? What does the Bible say about righteousness and holy living and loving your neighbor? And how did you miss that? When, when, when we put our personal views, prioritizing those over what the Bible says. Can I just tell you, you and I, all of us got a little bit of a funk in the trunk. Just want you to know. Every one of us got a little bit of like, mm. one time I was meeting with this grandiose theologian. I mean, this man was in his late 80s. He only had years left to live. And I had the opportunity to meet with this very, very wise, double doctorate degree uh, gentleman who had been the staple for proper doctrine in this particular organization, this particular large denomination. I had, a, I sat with him and I was talking to him, said, I'm worried about this and I see this. And, and he paused me, said, Adam, Adam, you know, those old country people. He wasn't country by any means, but he had that little slang thing, that little drawl going. He goes, Adam, he said, I want you to know something, son. When we get to heaven, all of us are going to realize we had a little bit of heresy in our doctrine. He said, just love the best you can, and when God rebukes you, just repent of it and change and move on. Because yeah. I was so worried. What if I misappropriate this? What if I don't do it right? I'm going to mess everybody up. I mean, I carry that, right? And, uh, and he's like, buddy, just do your best. And when we get to heaven, we're all going to realize, yeah, I probably didn't get that exactly right. Yeah, I probably had that view. That was from my grandma and uh, what we went through. And that was, oh, yeah, that was because of what happened. Mm, I'm sorry, Jesus. I didn't quite appropriate that. Frank, can I tell you something? True growth happens when you and I say every morning, Lord, whatever's in this word, I'm going to live it out. Whatever's in this word, I'm going to live it out. Even, even if, it, if it goes against my personal views, I'm going I'm to live it out, Lord God. I, change me till I look like you. God, help me look like you and your son Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And I'm going to tell you what, not all, none of us got it figured out all the way yet. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. Here's the third warning sign against disunity I would give you, and that is a maverick mentality. Anybody know what a maverick is? Maverick is somebody who does it all themselves. Nobody can speak to this better than me. You want to talk, a maverick's maverick. I'm an only child. I've never shared a thing. 
never shared. We might not have had much, but whatever we had, Mimi gave it to me. It was mine. I, I, never, had to, I never had to ask anybody for anything. I talk about a maverick. I'll never forget my first couple years on staff. The senior associate pastor at this mega church pulled me aside. He said, son, I love you, but you got an independent spirit. You got an independent spirit. Because they would say, everybody on staff has to wear suits to Sunday morning service. I will wear a jacket with tennis shoes and blue jeans. And they were like, that's not a suit. Well, it's a cool version of a suit. Because I had to do it my way instead of doing it how they wanted it. And, it, and literally, I'll never forget, they literally had to take my arm and twist it for me to cry uncle. Because I was such a maverick. I was just such a maverick. I just, just because, I, you know, I just, the way I was raised, I, 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 had, I thought I had great ideas. I'm a leader of leaders, and you want me to comply. You want me to be complicit. You want me to, to, to just fall in rank and be a mindless little ant. And I just, that's just not how God made me bless God. That's the devil. And how do I show my creativity in an organization like this that's controlling and religious and that kind of stuff? And I want you to know something. God began to work on me after that associate, sweet older man, talked to me about it. And I just said, God, but how? I mean, how, how do I do that? And he just said, Adam, it's real easy. It's real easy. Trust me in their process. So, but their process is broken. Trust me in their broken process. You're not serving them. You're serving me. I put, but I put the order together. And I put broken people over you. Because <laughs> you're broken. I'm going to put you as a broken person over others. But you're not serving them, you're serving me. And I had to get free from that maverick mentality. In my way, I can do it, I can make it better, they don't see it. And when God set me free from that, I want you to know, everything that I was touching at that moment began to explode. It began, ministry began to grow. Every, before I couldn't get people saved, couldn't get people to come to the youth ministry, also, it just started growing. Because I just said, Lord, I'll surrender to their broken process and their way of thinking. Because you know what? I am serving you in their process. And I love them, but they're not better than me because I couldn't get past that. Like, I don't need another king. I have a king. His name is Jesus. The pastor's not the king. He's not the, the, the controlling factor. But, but to come to the revelation, I am serving Jesus, my king, under this pastor. Woo! What freedom. And it broke me free from this maverick mentality. So let me give you a couple pieces. Back to that key passage that we read. He said, literally, he told us to keep the unity of the faith. Everybody say, keep it. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, keep it. Amen. So let me give you a couple ways to keep unity that I've learned over the years through the, through the Holy Scriptures. Number one, be intentional. Be intentional. You're not going to keep unity accidentally. You're going to have to sit down with some folks. The Bible's always talking to us about being intentional. When your brother sins against you, sit down with them. Tell them, hey, you offended me. You hurt my feelings there. I don't feel like you did that right. Be intentional. Be, be intentional about unity. Unity's not going to happen if they finally change. Unity is going to happen when you finally change your attitude about their brokenness. <laughs> It'll set you free because you're mad about what they didn't do right and what they should have done right. And just, like, just change attitude. Like, be intentional. Say, I'm going to change my attitude right now. And say, say God, they, I love them and their brokenness. They are not my provider. You are my provider. And I'm going to be intentional about I would rather win the game than to score the most points and lose the game. This is what unity looks like. I would rather us win. 
I would rather this church explode and win men and women from around the world and see revival come in people's life than to be the one that gets all the points and tells them how broken they are. I would rather us win. So whatever I need to do to play my part. So, so I, had played, I had played football my whole life and baseball. So, so I get on this basketball team and I am the weakest link. I am the weakest link. In fact, when I started my basketball career at, in eighth grade, I did not understand why you could not take the ball from them like I would in football. Because as a defensive back, if you came running towards me with the ball, I hit you and tried to take the ball from you or knock it out of your hands. So I brought that into basketball, and they kept, I kept fouling out within the first quarter. because they wouldn't, And they were a bunch of sissies. He found me. He found me. Big, big whoop. You big ninny. You had the ball. I took it from you. I hit you with an elbow in the face to get it, but I took it from you. And it wasn't until I got the kind of coach that set me down and taught me how to be on the team instead of trying to be the standout player. I wasn't good enough to be the standout player. And so all I, he taught me, this is what you can do for this team. I know you got a lot of energy, and I know you're super athletic, but you suck at basketball. And so, and so to help this team, here's what I need you to do. Don't ever shoot the ball. But let me teach you how to play defensive properly. So I was, I, man, I led the league in all the defensive plays. I had more steals. I had, I had, I had, I, I, no one, I took more charges than anybody. If you don't understand basketball, that's not a fun thing to do. But because I learned what my part could be, then I was able to help the team win. I didn't get to shine like I did in baseball and football, but that wasn't the sport we were playing. The sport we were playing was basketball. So I yielded what strength I could under control for the betterment of the team. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So I learned to be intentional with what I was good at. Here's the next piece that I would teach you, and that is find your purpose within the team. Sorry, I jumped ahead and started explaining that to you. Find your purpose within the team. Your purpose at work may be much more grandiose in your mind than your purpose at home. In my family, I am not the grandiose pastor. At home, I am the vacuumer and the cut grass cutterer. Are you tracking with me? I don't walk in and command authority when I come home. <laughs> My purpose on the team is to be a good dad, to listen, to be a good husband. Are you with, are, are, are you, are you with me? The purpose in this body of believers called Hill City, what is that for you? Find, find that place in you. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, I've got a great advice for you. Go through our grow track. If you'll go through our grow track, you'll help find your spiritual giftings. This is our second week of it, so you could even jump in at the second week if you wanted to. Or you can come back around next month, and we do it every month. And in that grow track, what we're trying to do is help you find out your place so that you can use your gifts so that we can build this body of Christ up so we can change the world. And so we have a real clear purpose at Hill City. We want to relentlessly love Jesus. Everybody say amen. We want to relentlessly love the church, one another, and we want to relentlessly love the hurting. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. And we do that through services, through small group life. We do that through outreach. We do that through our events. All of the, everything we do is so that we can get closer to Jesus, relentlessly chasing after him, get closer to one another so we have the bond of peace and the brothers and sisterhood around us so we can be strong and protected and see this thing all the way to the end of our life and so that we can then also, we do all these other pieces so that we can relentlessly 
continuously get the opportunity to love hurting people. And so if we're not loving hurting people, we're not fulfilling our purpose and our mission as Hill City. If we're not caring for one another, we got a bunch of disunity in the church, we're not relentlessly loving each other, we got to fix that. If we're not relentlessly loving Jesus and you're just coming and hearing some sermons and you're not falling deeper in love with Jesus every year that you're with Hill, Hill City, we are failing one another. It is our calling, our purpose, our desire as Hill City to relentlessly love Jesus. I want you to grow in Jesus. You should be stronger this year than you were last year in Christ as you're connected into this body of believers. If you're not, something's broken, we got to get it fixed. You may need to get some freedom. You may need to come to our encounter so we can get something broken off of you. You may need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Whatever it may be, we want to help accomplish that. If you're having conflict and you don't know how to connect, we've got to get you in small group life. And in that conflicting of relationships, learn how to love one another. Because it's a learning process. And all the single people who married late in life will tell you it is a learning process. It was easy when I was by myself, but now I'm married at 34 years old for the first time, and I am struggling to learn, love this individual who throws her socks on my floor, who goes and buys things without talking to me about it, and there went our money. It is a learning that you and I all have to do to be able to be in unity with one another. Okay, now let me give you the next one. So find your purpose. Number three, stay submitted to the Holy Spirit. Stay submitted to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us. Weak as we are, we do not know what we ought to pray, and the Spirit himself pleads with God for us and with groans that words cannot express. I have learned to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. That's how I have unity with, with people, because I'll just hear the Holy Spirit call them right now, call them, come to find out they were mad at me, didn't even know it. Like, what did I do this time? You know, I'll just stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Also, just write that, encourage them, go walk up to them, go say that to them. And as I do, it just, he, he is the glue that keeps us all together. It's the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't make you like me enough. At some point, you're not going to like me because I'm human, right? I can't be good enough to you that you never doubt me. But it's the Holy Spirit in me, in you, keeping us together. Keeping you say, why do you, why do you love that church over at Hill City? I don't know. It's just, it's, just a, it's just the Lord. The Lord will give you a heart for people. The Lord will give you unity with people that no one else can unify with. People ask me all the time, how do you have those people in your church? They were in my church. I was so happy when they left. Dear Jesus, and they at your church now? How's that work? It's a divine connection by way of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is keeping us. So learn to stay in step with him. Learn to hear him go, hey, call them right now. Hey, go walk over. Ask them if they want to go out to eat with you. It is, it is the Holy Spirit who's going to unify us and keep us unit. He is the glue, the super glue, keeping us all together. He, has, he is the common thread keeping the unity of the body of believers. And then when you and I push him out and say, I ain't got time for the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to pray in the Spirit. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time to really open up my heart to hear the voice of the Lord and let the Spirit of the Lord lead me. You are probably you are being pulled away into disunity because the only way we will make it as a body of believers is when you and I stay surrendered and in step with the Holy Spirit. When we stay in step with him, he will keep you at peace when other people are mad. He will keep you, he will keep you loving someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't vote like you, who doesn't have the same philosophy as you. I can love people who don't look like me, act like me. I can love them deeply because I have been filled with the Holy Spirit and he loves them. I'll tell you that right now. He loves them. He created them, so he loves them. He is the God of heaven and earth, loves his people. He loves all humanity. So I can look at someone who I vehemently disagree with their sexual orientation and their philosophy about sexuality, and I can vehemently disagree with them and love them supernaturally all at the same time. 
I can, I can, and say, listen, I, could, I don't want you teaching my children that, but I love you. And I love you, and I would love to be in relationship with you so I can help you see my God. And in that, I want you to know that even though you may think that I'm crazy, I think we can sit down at the table of unity and love one another. Are you with me? Say yes. Our nation was founded on people who disagree sitting down and being unified. That's how this whole thing came together. Well, when did the church stop being that? When did we get so isolated and we get so segregated and so and we cannot be that? And so listen, just like Ephesus was struggling, the church in Ephesus was struggling because they were multiracial. They were multi-generational. They were multi-philosophies. They'd come from all over the world and what they thought was valuable and what they thought God was and how God expressed himself. They came together as the church in Ephesus, and Paul is having to write to them, fight for unity. Stay, make every effort. Don't let the enemy put that red dot on you and get you isolated. Get you, get, you, need, to be blend, you need to be a blur. You need all believers. That's who we are. You're not, you're, not, you're, not the, you're not the most powerful, you know, of all of us. And you're not the weakest. We're just all together watching out for one another. And the enemy sees nothing but the body of Christ then. Instead of seeing you as an individual trying to have your little time with the Lord and trying to stand by yourself. And the enemy's been taking you out. That's why the loneliness has happened. That's why the frustration has been happening. That's why you're looking around going, ah. Oh. And that's because the enemy loves to bring disunity. What did he tell Adam and Eve? He disunified them from what Jesus said, what, what the Father had told them. Did he really say that? Hmm. And he started getting them thinking a different doctrine. Did God really say you couldn't eat of all the trees of the garden? He said that. Hmm. Well, that's just because he knows that you'll be like him. Come be an individual on the same level as him. That's the very original sin. And how he mo manipulated and motivated, get them disunified, get them under, out from under submission from the one who, set, who created them. And so then God had to come back around, sacrifice his own son so that you and I could have life. So that we could have unification back with him and his Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of watching the devil destroy relationships. I'm just tired of it. And I just don't want that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm telling you, listen, I, I've been in ministry a long time. And there are a lot of people who aren't serving Jesus because Adam McCain was a knothead. Like, I just didn't do it right all the time. And I'm not, I don't plan to. I don't plan to be Jesus. I'm just trying to look like him the best I can. But I, I, I know that I'm going to make mistakes. And, I, and you need to have the freedom to fail forward. And in this church, you have the freedom to work it out and not be perfect. But I'd be doggone if we're going to let the disunity of the demonic forces of this time frame destroy us. Let us engage with one another in love and let the power of unity push back every bit of darkness that's trying to destroy us. Are you with me today? Say yes.